welcome to Renewal Church. Thank you for joining us online as well. We know that many of you can't visit us in person right now. We're looking forward to that day when that can happen safely. Thank you to those of you who joined us. It is officially safe to play Christmas music. One person in the back is happy about that. Listen, we did Elf with the kids this weekend. It was awesome. Now, I didn't grow up in a Christian home. I've shared that a lot. And so Christmas has really changed for me over the years, big time. When I was a little kid, Christmas was about hope, but it was only hope about one thing, presents. And so in my house, we had this tradition where you would come and you get, on Christmas Eve, you get one present and you get to open it up. And your, my parents would always select it to make sure that it wasn't, like, too cool. And so, you know, I'd, I'd open up, like, um, like, a new toothbrush or something, something stupid like that. But then you knew the next morning was going to be the mother load of presents. And so the, between Christmas Eve and Christmas morning was all about hope. Now, when I became a teenager, I gave my life to Jesus Christ. It changed the whole trajectory of my life. It was just the most unbelievable, incredible decision I ever made. And at that point, I started to realize Christmas was about hope, but it was about some bigger things in life. But when I first became a Christian as a teenager, I thought hope was all about what happened back then 2,000 years ago. So for, in my mind, Christmas was all about 2,000 years ago. And you, you know, maybe you are new to Christianity, but you've at least seen a nativity scene around in front of a church or a yard or something like that. And it's got Mary and Joseph and the angels and the wise men and the donkey and the sheep and the whole thing. And they, they looked so hopeful. They were waiting for God to send a deliverer or a rescuer or you know, not exactly sure what's going there. Maybe they were waiting on a petting zoo, and it's like, God brought one. But whatever it is, they were waiting with hope, and it was a big deal for them. But I've come to realize something. Christmas was not just about hope back then. As I think about 2020 and what we've had to go through and what we're going through, I realize that hope means, when you're hoping for something, it means you're still waiting. And when you look around our world, you realize we are still waiting on God to do some things in this world. You look around at the, uh, the pandemic and all the sickness, and we're waiting and hoping for God to bring healing into this world. We saw, um, we saw a, a revealing of racial injustice this year, and we're waiting on God to bring unity and remove and, and make, uh, form a new family of every ethnicity in the world, and we're hoping for that. We saw unrest in the streets, and we're hoping for God to bring peace. It's a time of a year of renewed anxiety and worry. And we're hoping that in the future that God takes us out of this quarantine time and we're hoping that there's a vaccine. We're hoping that God brings peace into our world and undoes some of the, some of the angst in, the, in our minds that there's a, a calm and a, and, a, and a peace that he brings into us. We're hoping for all of that. And so for many of us, Christmas is bittersweet because it's great that it like kind of takes our mind off of, you know, just like the everyday grind that is 2020. But at the same time, there's some pieces that have been pulled out of our lives, families, you know, um, Adri shared, you know, Thanksgiving looked different for her. That was the same for us this year. There's some pieces that have been pulled out of our lives. And so Christmas has this bittersweet tinge to it. But I've come to understand, I think that um, Christmas is supposed to be that way. It was about hope 2,000 years ago that God would send a savior and a deliverer. But it's also hope that when Jesus comes again, he is going to finally and fully make things right in this world. And so Christmas is a time of tension between what was and what will be. It's about hope. And I know that so many of us need hope in our lives. But here's the really cool thing. In our world, hope tends to be optimism. 
I don't know if you've noticed that. When we say, I'm hoping I get the promotion, I'm hoping, it's, it's like, I, I'm, I don't know for sure. It's a, it seems a little uncertain to me, but I'm being positive. I'm a glass half full kind of person. But for the person who has a personal relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ, hope is an absolute certainty because it's based on God's character and God's promises. And so hope can be a grounding foundation in your life. When everyone else's anxiety is spiraling out of control, when other people are experiencing despair, you may feel some of those things, but you can come back to home base in your life, this truth that God is powerful and he's in control and he cares, and it will bring a different kind of hope into your life. And so that's why we're looking in Psalm 33 today. Now that's not, so if you have a Bible, go ahead and open it up to Psalm 33. It is not a traditional Christmas text. It's not the, the, the angel and the wise men or anything like that, but it is a song written by the Hebrew people that is all about hope and the reasons for the hope that we have. And as I prayed about this Christmas series, I, I really felt very strongly God directing me to this idea of hope being grounded in God because I feel like that's what we need at the end of 2020. It's good to have the <laughs> it's good to have the holly. It's good to have the Christmas trees. It's good to have the music, but we need something deeper than that to hold on to. So let's look at Psalm 33 together. And we are in as we look in Psalm 33, we're kicking off our our Christmas series which is called Christmas isn't canceled. And the reason I called it that is because your Christmas plans might be canceled, your Christmas with family might be canceled, but because of Jesus Christ, there are some things that he brought about at Christmas that cannot be canceled like hope and joy and peace and that's what we're looking at over the next couple weeks. All right, so let's dig into Psalm 33. We're going to go through the whole thing today verse by verse. So if you open up to it, it'll help you kind of pro as we process through it. These psalms were written for worship in the temple of the Jews, and they were set to music, but nobody knows how the tune went anymore. And verses 1 through 3 in this psalm are a call to worship, and so that's why it's going to talk all about singing here. Here's what it says, verses 1 through 3. It says, Sing joyfully to the Lord, you righteous. It is fitting for the upright to praise him. Praise the Lord with the harp. Make music to him on the ten-string lyre. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully and shout for joy. And so that's just kind of the, the intro, the opening salvo, but right after that, what we're going to see are the four reasons that we can have hope, and then it's going to give us an exhortation at the very end, say like, based on all these reasons for hope that we have, here's now how we should live. So let's look at the four reasons to hope, and here's the setup today. It's I have hope because, so these are the reasons for hope, and the first one is this, I have hope because God always keeps his promises. God always keeps his promises. When you're in a period of waiting, when you're in a period of uncertainty, you start looking for hope everywhere. And the first place to look is to God's promises. Verses four through five say this, for the word of the Lord is right and true. He is faithful in all he does. The Lord loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of his unfailing love. So when the psalmist talks about God being faithful in all he does, this was written by Hebrews, by the Jews, and it's echoing back to the promises that God made to Abraham. Promises for land, seed, and blessing. So land was, a, you will inherit the earth. Have you ever heard that phrase before? 
right? So there was a land for them. There was offspring, and then there was blessing, which meant, it meant, some of it meant material blessing, but it meant all of that. It meant, you know, God pouring all of his blessing onto these people. And so he's saying he's faithful to those promises. When the psalmist says the earth is full of his unfailing love, we just hear the word love, but it doesn't just mean like romantic affection. It is covenant-keeping love because a covenant, the closest thing we have to a covenant is a marriage, which is this stunning blend of both law and love. And God made a covenant with the Hebrew people. And when, when they use the, the, the phrase unfailing love, they're saying that God always remembers that promise of love that he made to his people, which God considers legally binding on himself, like a marriage. And so this psalm is echoing God's faithfulness to his promises. Now, in our lives, we tend to say that we have hope based on how we hope things will turn out. So we think about the probability that will happen. I hope I'll get the promotion. I hope they'll come up with a vaccine next year. I hope that I'll get, find that special someone in 2021 and things will turn out a little different for me. It's all based on probabilities. But when you have a relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ, Hope is not based on probabilities, it is based on his promises. And that is a completely different way to live your life. Because you're not always just trying to talk yourself up like it's going to be okay. No, you know that even if it's not okay, God will be there with you in it and will get you through it in the end. And in the end, he will work it all together for your good and his glory because he has promised to do it. So we have hope because God keeps his promises. Number two, the second reason, I have hope because God has all the power. You know, if God cared about your situation and he wanted to help you and he was faithful to his promises, but he wasn't able to pull things off, he wasn't able to come through for you, it wouldn't matter at all. But according to this psalm, God has all the power, verses six through nine. It says, by the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, their starry hosts by the breath of his mouth. He gathers the water of the sea into jars. He puts the deep into storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the people of the world revere him. For he spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. The power of God is on display every time you look at creation. And for me, this has always been an anchor for my faith which is just this question. Why is there something instead of nothing? Why is there a universe instead of no universe? Why is there a creation? And it's because there's a creator. And so every time you see it, you are encountering the power of God. He didn't break a sweat. He didn't have to work. He just spoke and it came into existence. God has all the power in the world. And one of the things this means is that what you fear is no match for the power of God. Because everything you fear is in creation for the most part. You're afraid something's going to hurt you. You're afraid something is going to crush you. You're afraid that someone, you're going to be rejected by things or people in creation. Your worries, your concerns, your anxieties, none of them are a match for the power of God. In fact, because of the life of Jesus, we know that it's not just things in creation. It's also these, these spiritual realities which are a part of creation too that that. Satan is not more powerful than God. Sin is not more powerful than God. Death is not more powerful than God. The worst thing that can happen to you, God has already overcome. And he demonstrated that by when Jesus Christ died on the cross and then rose from the dead, defeating death. God has all the power. That's a reason to hope. 
All right, look at number three. I have hope because, three, God is in complete control of the world. We need hope the most when life feels most out of control. And 2020 was like a roller coaster where no one got buckled in. And when you're out of control, you need to depend on a God who's in control. The Bible's word for that is sovereignty. Look at what it says in verses 10 and 11. The Lord foils the plans of the nations. He thwarts the purposes of the peoples. But the plans of the Lord stand firm forever. The purposes of his heart through all generations. God is in control even when a pandemic is tearing through our society. God is in control even when an election is ripping us apart. God is in control when there's unrest in the streets and racial injustice is revealed. God is in control because the plans of the Lord stand firm forever and his purposes of his heart through all generations. According to the Bible, God is in control. He is a great, he is a great king and he's in control of the day you were born and the day you die. He's in control of who's in power at any given moment. He's even in control of how many hairs are on your head. God is totally in control, and that gives you reason to have hope. So let's review. I have hope because, one, God always keeps his promises. Two, God has all the power. Three, God is in complete control of the world. And finally, four, I have hope because God knows exactly what I'm going through. We will often choose to put our, our hope in people or in things that don't care about us. Anybody have that relative who's way too into politics? That's just my family, huh? You know, it's like you put your hope in politicians and they, they come through for you until it's politically inexpedient for them and then, the, and then they'll just turn your back on you. You know, we put our hope in people who let us down all the time. But God never lets us down. Listen to what it says about how God knows what we're going through and how he cares for us. Verses 12 through 15. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people he chose for his inheritance. Now, this is talking about Israel. God, God is the, the official God of Israel. It was a theocracy. And he chose Israel from among the nations, not because they were amazing or because they were special or because they were righteous. God chose Israel because they were not special and they were weak and they were often rebellious and he could show off how loving and gracious and powerful he was through them, which is actually a lot of what it's like to be a Christian. And so God chose them. Uh, it continues. From heaven... The Lord looks down and sees all mankind. From his dwelling place, he watches all who live on the earth. He who forms the hearts of all, who considers everything they do. This psalmist speaks of a God who knows everything. The, the, the theologian's word for this is his omniscience. He sees, he knows everything. And the Bible uses this language of God looking down from heaven. And part of the point of that is just so that we know God cares about what's happening in this world and in our lives. He's not the aloof God of the theist who sets the world in motion like a clock 
winds it up and then steps back and just says, run according to the laws of the universe. No, he's a God who's watching what happens. There's a story in the, in the Old Testament of a woman named Hagar that we don't have time to go into, but she actually gave God a name because of some difficult circumstances in her life, and she called him the God who sees me, the God who knows what I'm going through. And God knows everything, and it's one of the reasons that you can have hope. He knows what you're going through. He cares about you. He sees it all. And he even sees what happens in your heart, according to the psalm. And so those are the reasons to put our hope in the Lord. It's so much better than optimism. It is so much better than probabilities. It's a God who's powerful and faithful, who cares, who sees. And so the psalm ends by saying, by kind of asking the question, like, what do we do about this? If this is who God is, and these are the reasons we have for hope, then how do we respond to that as people? And I think as we listen into this, we, we could ask that question of ourselves as we move through this Advent season, this Christmas season over the next month. And there are basically two exhortations at the end of the psalm, and here's the first one, is that we turn away from vain hopes. That's what the Bible calls them. Let's, let's actually just look at the verse together. It says, no king is saved by the size of his army. No warrior escapes by his great strength. A horse is a vain hope for deliverance. Despite all its great strength, it cannot save. But the eyes of the Lord are on those who fear him, on those whose hope is in his unfailing love to deliver them from death and keep them alive in famine. Now, it's not just enough to kind of say amen to this verse. Not that anyone at Renewal Church does that anyway, except for Ken. Love you, Ken. And because you have to kind of back up a little bit and think about this. This is in the ancient Near East, and literally every spring, every king marches out with an army. And you're either invading your neighbor or you're trying to defend yourself from an invasion from your neighbor. And so if you have a logical, rational brain, and you think to yourself, what is going to determine whether we live or die this next spring? It's the size of your army. It's whether your horse is ready for battle. And so it's too easy to just kind of sweep that under the rug. But what the psalmist is saying here is that there are tools that can be used in this world. Because if you look at the kings of Israel, you say, did they have horses? They did. Did they have armies? They did. So the, 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 what the psalmist must be driving at is, can you engage with the tools of this world without putting your ultimate hope in them? And that's much harder than saying, I'm just going to completely separate myself from the world. Because, you know, they're actually sort of like strange branches of Christianity. Maybe you've heard of this, where they don't allow doctors or medicine. And so they say, like, I'm just going to put my hope in God. But this is actually a much more nuanced vision of the world. And our, our society doesn't do well with nuance. But one of the things I love about Boston is that people in Boston are like, bring it on. Let's do this. Is that we, in, we do engage with the tools of the world. We just don't put our ultimate hope in them. So let me list out three things that I, these are just what came to my mind for our church of tools that I think we need to engage with, but guarding our heart that we don't put our ultimate hope in them. Here's one of them. Many people in our, in our particular society are trusting in science to save them. Science is a great thing, but even the incredible power of science that might keep you from dying in 2021 is not going to keep you from dying forever. Science is really good at picking things apart to tell you how they work, but it's not great at putting things back together to tell you why they work. 
Ultimately, science fails to deliver you from death, rescue you from your sins, or tell a compelling story about why you're here. It's good to depend on, to use the tools of science to produce scientific advancements. That's why I have a degree in biomedical engineering, because you can use it as a tool to improve people's lives. So, for instance, it's not wrong to hope that they produce a vaccine for COVID-19 in the next year. But to put your ultimate hope in, in science is a misplace of something that only belongs to God. And, and part of the most fundamental reason for that is that science deals with rearranging creation. And it makes more sense to put your ultimate hope in the God who created creation. Here's another one. We trust in politicians to improve our world. And I mentioned this, but politicians on both the right and the left, they make endless promises. And then they will just ignore those promises and fail to fulfill them the moment that fulfilling them might remove them from power. It's not bad to engage politically. In fact, I love that our church does this, and our church is passionate about this, and our church cares about justice, and the, uh, like, our church, our church does a great job with all of that, but when we put our ultimate hope in there, we're putting our trust in people who will stab us in the back the first chance they get. Here's another one I picked, and this one I picked something that was just sort of much more personal. I thought about myself as a young man before I was married, when I was a, like a late teenager, I went through girlfriend after girlfriend, and I thought, if I have the right girlfriend in my life, I'll feel loved, I will feel accepted, I won't be lonely anymore, and I'll feel like I'm, I'm doing a great job at life. But every time I would get a new girlfriend, I would end up lonely and bored, and it didn't improve my self-worth because your worth doesn't come from other people's approval of you. Ultimately, it comes from God. And so I was seeking in other people what I could have been getting from God. And I think there's variations on this theme for, our, for all sorts of people. If you're married, you might be putting all of your hope and all of your expectations on your spouse to make you happy. If you're single and you're not in a relationship, you could be putting all of your hope on this person you're going to find someday that's going to just, you know, fulfill you to the depths of your soul and there'll be this perfect person. You'll never be lonely again. And man, when you get in a relationship with those kind of hopes, you will crush somebody to death. Or maybe you're in that dating relationship with somebody and you're just, you're just wanting desperately to feel loved by this other person. So you're putting way too much hope in this person to give you things that God wants to give you freely in Jesus Christ. So we have to be careful to engage with the things of this world without putting our ultimate hope in them. So we turn away from vain hopes. And I think that's worth thinking about as you leave here today, if you, especially if you came here with a roommate or maybe you call your family on the phone on Sundays and you just say, hey, here's the thing. I think I'm putting too much weight in this bucket. I'm putting too much hope in this person or this relationship or this thing. But here's the flip side of that. We turn away from vain hopes. We turn toward God. The psalm ends this way. Here's the end of the psalm. It ends with an exhortation, verses 20 through 22. It says, we wait in hope for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. In him our hearts rejoice, for we trust in his holy name. May your unfailing love be with us, Lord, even as we put our hope in you. It ends with a declaration. We will, we will hope 
in the Lord. We will wait and hope for the Lord. And then it ends with a prayer. May your unfailing love be with us, Lord. That's a prayer. And so there's part of hoping in the Lord that is both a declaration and a moment-by-moment prayer. There's a place to say, I will put my hope in the Lord. And I hear about God's power and his faithfulness and his compassion and his omniscience, just everything about God. And I will put my hope in him. And maybe that's you today. You need to pray with me at the end of this message and just put a flag in the ground and say, I am hoping in God. And when I look around this world and I see the chaos, when I experience the loneliness and the anxiety in the midst of myself, I will choose to put my hope in the Lord. And there's also that daily prayer of saying, God, as I wait on you, and as I'm in this month of December, this Advent season of waiting, I will put my hope in you. Would you come and answer the cries of my heart? And maybe over this next month, every time you drive by a nativity scene and you see Mary and Joseph looking at this little baby with just such incredible hope for what he's going to be someday, maybe that would be a reminder to pray. Say, God, my hope is in you. As we, as we close our time together today, I just want to encourage you with this. You may have had a terrible year. In fact, you may hear all of this about God and still wonder in your soul if God really cares about you. Because when life is that hard, you start wondering whether God is really for you or not. But the way that you know for certain that you can put your hope in God is through Jesus Christ. In Jesus, we see the power of God on display because God raised Jesus from the dead. In God, we see the perfect knowledge, the omniscience of God, that he knows what's happening in every human heart. He had this plan and purpose unfolding from the beginning of the world. We see the sovereignty of God on display as God shows up with grace in your life and reaches into your life and changes you and gives you a new heart. And maybe above all, if you can say that about God, we see his faithfulness to his promises to rescue you, to forgive your sins, to give you eternal life, to send his spirit, his personal presence to live in you. And he was willing to go to the cross so that you would know for absolute certain that this God is for you and he loves you. When you see, when you think about Jesus on the cross, you know that this is a God that you can put your hope and your trust in.